So, Parshat Vayetze, otherwise known as Vayetze. So, there was a Rebbe, the Harnastopol Rebbe. He was one of the big Hasidic Rebbeim, comes from the long lineage in the Baal Shem Tov. And uh, he was a Rebbe for 50 years. And when he was Nifter, right, he passed away. So, Yankala, who was the Rav of the town in Harnastopol, declared that he was laying claim to the grave next to the grave of the Nospol Rebbe. After all, he was the, like, the Rebbe wasn't there, there was a Rav and there was a Rebbe. And they usually worked in tandem, right? You know, sometimes it's not These two rabbinical figures were actually very close to each other, they worked well together. So he announced that he was reserving that he should be buried when he's Nifter in the grave next to the Nospol Rebbe. Okay, there's a little bit of chutzpah to just decide that, you're not a chassid, but all right. Well, now the Rebbe, the Nospol Rebbe, had a gabai by the name of Rav Dan. Okay? And Ravdan, he was very offended by this. He said, Mapiton. He said, I've never been, I haven't separated from the Arnospo Rebbe. I've done everything with him and for him. I should, I should be with him every minute in this world and I won't be him in the next world. It can't be. I'm the Gabai. I should be his, you saw him once in a while. So this became a big machokas. And you had the ones who were following with Ravdan and you had the ones who were following with Yanka. They know what to do. So what they do, they went to the new Anospel Rebbe. The Anospel Rebbe was Nifter, and his son became the new Rebbe, and the son was 14 years old. So it's kind of funny, these two, the Rav, they go into a 14-year-old to see what it, but he's the Rebbe. And the Rebbe, as soon as you become Rebbe, it's like, you just, you just become a gong. You just know everything, right? So the Rebbe had a creative solution, because he didn't want to rule in favor of one or the other, and he wanted the Machloka stand. He said, it's very simple. He said... We're going to let Akash Baruch Hu decide. We're going to let Hashem decide. Whoever is Nifter first, <coughs> he'll be buried next to the Rebbe. That was actually a good deal because he was 14, so he knew it wouldn't be him. So they couldn't accuse him of being, right? From that moment on, every time Rav Dan got sick, Rav Yankala went nuts. He would make sure that he had the best specialists. He would go around the yeshivas and make sure they all daven for him because he wanted to be Nifter before Rav Dan. And every time Rav Yankala got sick, Rav Dan would go crazy. He would make sure all the specialists came and the doctors and the people would say to him, they would say, Kvitlach, right? Everything. Kill roosters, right? I heard this story, and they did this for the rest of their lives. I don't know who was Nifta first, because it's remains the story. I heard this story from Rav Tursky once, when we were walking home from Shul. And he told me, you know, it's not good to have a machlokas. It's not good to argue. And it's not good... You know, you should only want what Hashem wants. But you learn a lot about a person from what he wants. Look at what they wanted. What consumed them was the chance to be near Torah. Right? What we want becomes who we are. Now, why is this interesting? Because in this week's Parsha, you actually see an allusion to this. Right? Yaakov is having a dream. Now, we all know the story of Yaakov. He goes down to Haran, and he goes to a well, and he sees Rachel, and he goes nuts, you know, and he cries, and he kisses her, has this powerful moment. And this is really the beginning of the birth of the Jewish people, right? Avram doesn't give birth to the Jewish people, he's just the first Jew. Yitzchak does not give birth to the Jewish people, he's the second Jew. Yaakov gives birth to the Jewish people. The 12 Shvatim, the tribes of the Jewish people, really 13, 
because Yosef has two sons that are tribes, come from Yaakov. And then it all starts in this expression. And then we know that, uh, you know, Lovin tricks him, not very nice, right? And the next thing you know, he's married to Leah and he's married to Rachel. Okay, a little bit challenging, but okay. And he works in the house of Lovin for many years. Anybody know how many years he works in the house of Lovin? 14, 14, nope. 14, seven and seven. Nope, 14, no. Seven and seven is what he works so that he can marry Rachel and Leah. He doesn't leave right after he gets married. Pardon? 22 years. Does anybody know where else we find 22 years? Rashi explains. Yosef is separate from his father for 22 years. And then, from the time Yaakov is reunited with Yosef, they get another 22 years. So that number is important. Not for now, but whatever. Okay? So, after about 22 years, or 21 and something, right? Yaakov's out there, and he's got all these sheep. Right? Lavan tried to swindle him, but of course Baruch is, is a better dealer than Lavan. And he sets up Lavan. Lavan makes a deal with Yaakov because now that he's worked 14 years, he's got Rachel, he's got Leah, why should Yaakov stay? He's done. Lavan wants him to stay for various reasons, not least of which is he sees that all this blessing is coming into his house because Yaakov is there. He says, I'll make you a deal. He says, from now on, every speckled you know, and mutated sheep will be yours. Now, you and I wouldn't agree to a deal like that because, like, how many speckled mutated sheep are there? I'll, you know, he'll be getting rich and I'll get nothing. But Yaakov agrees because he feels that's what Hashem wants. And then he does this weird divining rods over the water. I'll leave you to read the parsha and see what that is. And it's fascinating before on that topic, but not for now. And the joke's on Lovin because all of a sudden all the sheep are mutating and Yaakov becomes crazy rich. And one day, Yaakov is having a dream. And I was in the middle, you know, we were with the flocks and the mating and whatever's going on in the fields there. And I lift up my eyes and I see in a dream. All what the sheep are doing and how the sheep are on top of the other sheep and they're making more sheep. I'm just getting, he's dreaming all these speckled sheep. And a malach says to me in the dream, Yaakov va'omar hineni. And I say, hineni. By the way, what's missing from this passage? I'm going to read this again. I see the dream. Whatever, sheep stuff. What's missing? What's missing? Yaakov's having a dream, and the Malach says to him, X, Y, Z, what's missing? Pardon? Well, we'll get to the next person. No, before that. What's missing? Hashem's name. Well, no, that's an interesting question. We'll get back to that. Do not forget that question. Why isn't Hashem talking to him? Why is a Malach talking to him? Nope. It's very important. We'll get to that in a second. Yeah? Yaakov says he needed, but the Malach Okay, what does the Malach actually say? No, that's just because I didn't read the next Pasuk. The Malach is going to tell him what he's about to say. No, where'd the Malach come from? He sees something in the dream, and then the Malach says, what do you mean the Malach says? Where'd the Malach come from? It should say, Vayavoa Malach, or Vayhi Malach, and there's a Malach in the dream. It doesn't say that. It just says a Malach comes. Where'd the Malach come from? And what does the Malach, whatever a Malach is, what does a malach come have to do with his dream, which is all about sheep? Very strange. 
I know this is an important dream. How do I know this is an important dream? I'm going to read this passage again and you tell me. Tell me why I know this is going to be important. Come on, pardon? Hineni. Hineni is a really important word. Where else do I find Hineni? Pardon? Somebody yell it out. Pardon? Avraham. Where does Avraham say Hineni? Not by Lech Lecha, by the Akeda. By the Akeda it says, Vayomer Avraham, Avraham, Vayomer Hineni. Avram doesn't say Hineni in Lech Lecha. Because what does Hineni mean? Hineni means, here I am. I'm here. I'm here to serve. Hineni indicates that a person is about to rise to the mission that he was meant for. He's having a moment that makes no sense. It doesn't make sense. It's not what I think. It's not what I want. It just doesn't make sense. But a Kodesh Baruch Hu tells me something, that's it. You know? Your, your, your son is... Um, is married for a year. He just finished this very intense course offered by the Ministry of Defense and computer coding, whatever it is. And he's finally done. They're about to finally get some time to travel or whatever. And then October 7th comes along. And he gets a call. He's got to go. And 360,000 boys stopped what they were doing, and girls, and said, Hineni, this is what I'm called for. Moshe Rabbeinu is walking in the desert. He's, he's 75 years old. I don't know about you, but 75 years old, we're like, kind of like ready to chill out. He's just starting his career. Now he's actually 79 years old. 75 was Avram, but okay. He's walking through the desert and he sees a bush and the bush isn't burning. And do you ever think about that moment, by the way? Like this is the moment that Hashem is going to introduce Hashem's self to Moshe Rabbeinu. This is probably one of the most important moments in Jewish history. Agreed? And, and Moshe, and, and a burning bush? A bush? You couldn't burn a mountain? Burn the Himalayas? You're a kosh A bush? Mastutzach a bush. You know what? If you're walking around the noonday sun and it's a bush burning, you've got to be looking to see it. What does Moshe Rabbeinu say? Asurana ve'er'e I got to go see this. The entire journey, the destiny of the Jewish people, Moshe Rabbeinu, becoming Moshe Rabbeinu, the Gula, the redemption of Egypt, happens because Moshe decides to look. He chooses to see. Okay. And he gets to the bush. And what happens? Hashem says, Vayomer Moshe Moshe. Just like Hashem says to Avram at the Avram, Avram, Vayomer Hineni. I'm here. I suddenly realize it's a Kodesh Baruch talking. You don't ask Hashem what He wants. You say to Hashem, Hineni, here I am. Whatever you want. <laughs> Who does the opposite of Hineni? Uh, Adam. Adam. Adam What's the opposite of Hineni? Me saying Hineni. What's the opposite of that? Hashem saying, Ayaka, where are you? Avram says, here I am. Moshe Rabbeinu says, here I am. Adam, Hashem has to say, where are you? It's the opposite. It's the beginning of a downward spiral. You want to pause your downward spiral? Here I am. So Yaakov here says, Hineni, in the middle of a dream about sheep. That must be important. And then what happens? Look at all the sheep. I see what Lavan's doing to you. Well, what's going on here? 
So I want to suggest something. It's not exactly what the Sfasemis says, but it's based on the Sfasemis. Sfasemis was the Ger Rebbe, he was the grandson of the Chidush Erim, towering Torah scholar, very hard to understand the things he says. He has to be bucking Shas, so that's a difficult... Uh... He says as follows. This is not the first dream of Yaakov. What's the first dream of Yaakov? Pardon? Right. He's leaving the house of Yitzchak. He leaves the house of Yitzchak, right? And what does it say there? It says, The word Bamakom is a very powerful word. It has to do wherever we say Bamakom, whenever you find the word Makom, Chazal always associated with the base of Mitas. That's a whole interesting question. Right? When does Avram, according to the Medrash, get to the place of the Beit Midash, of Haram Moriah? At the Akedah. Right? Avram's base of Mikdash is the mountain. When does Yitzchak go to a place that's associated with the base of Mikdash? Yitzchak goes to the... Nope. That's not Yitzchak. That's all. Yitzchak is the Neakad. He doesn't choose to go. He goes with Avram. No, the Sadeh, Vayetzei Yitzchak Lasuach Basadeh. Ein Sadeh Lamakom Mikdash. So Avram is going to a mountain, Yitzchak goes to a field. What's the difference between a mountain and a field? The mountain you go up, right, to see the view, right? You go for something, but you don't stay there. You go to the field because you want to cultivate something. You want to build something, but you don't stay there. Nobody lives in the field. You choose to go to the field. You need a reason to go to the field. You need a reason to go to the mountain. What does Yaakov call this makom? Ein zekiim. Anybody remember? Beit Elokim v'zeshar Hashemai. This is the house of Hashem. Yaakov calls it a house. You know what the difference is between a mountain, a field, and a house? You don't need a reason to be in the house. The house is where you go because that's your house. Make sense? So Yaakov is dreaming about ladders and angels. What's the obvious question? The angels are going up and down. What's the question? Obvious question. Pardon? No, they're going up on a ladder. He's dreaming about a ladder. The angels of heaven are going up and down. What's the obvious question? Well, no, that's a good question, but no. What's the obvious question? Yeah, why are they going up and down? They should be going down and up. Aren't they coming from Shemaim? Why are they going up? This is Yaakov dreaming about he is a malach. What does it mean to be a malach? What's a malach? We talked about this once. What's a malach? Pardon? Servant of God. Everybody's a servant of God. Everything is a servant of God, no? Did you ever talk about what a malach is? It's a concept. Pardon? Oh, wow. It's good we're talking about this. I thought we talked about this. Okay, this is important. What do we know about malachim? I'm, I'm going to give you a very basic idea of Malachim. There are deeper ideas, but very basic idea. What do we know about Malachim? There are two basic things that we know about Malachim. Yeah. I that they're messengers. They're messengers. Excellent. They carry a message. Yeah. They have no free will. They have no free will. If a Malach is told, you're going to go and tell Avram that he's going to have a son, he can't decide, you know what? I want to go destroy Saddam first. That's his mission. He has no choice. Okay? What else do we know about Malachim? They have no free will. They have a mission. How many missions do they get to have? Just one. Right? Where do I know this from? In the Medrash? Based on Pshat? 
Anybody know? When three men came to Avram, only two went to destroy Three malachim come to Avram, and Chazal will talk about how each one had a different mission. One comes to tell Avram Avinu that he's going to have a son, Avram and Sarah. One comes to save Lot, and one comes to destroy stone. Why don't you send one malach? Because a malach only has one mission. I don't know why. Why is a malach only have one mission? Okay. Can't change his mind. No free choice. In fact, there is a Kabbalistic custom, which I do, not because I'm a Kabbalist, because I had a second grade teacher who was a Kabbalist, and that's what she taught us, and I didn't know until, I don't know, years ago that, uh, that I was the only one who did this. It took me a while to find the source of it, but since I've been doing it my whole life, I do it. And that is that when we start Kedusha, which is where the Malachim talk to each other, right? Vakara Zel, Zevi, Amar, Kadosh, 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 right? So, I, you know how you put your feet together and they're facing forward? So, I do this. You can look once if you notice in Kedusha. I put my feet like this. Why do I put my feet like this? Sideways. It looks like a pedestal. Represents the idea that I'm standing still. Malach doesn't grow. He doesn't elevate himself spiritually. Right? He's just a Malach. So Rav Cook says, what's a Malach? A Malach is anything in this world that is created by Hashem, that has no free choice, that has one mission, cannot choose not to do that mission. Right? Like, for example, a force of nature. The wind is a malach. And the wind is a job. And sometimes Hashem sends the wind. He says, I want you to destroy that house. I want you to wipe out that town. I want you to help these boats get across the sea. The wind can't wake up one day and say, you know, I'm just so tired of all this blowing. I want to burn something. Come on, let's have some fun. Wind can't do that. Any more than the fire can say, I want to get people wet. It's so much more fun. They look like they're smiling when they're swimming. Now, in certain moments, a human being can become a malach. You know, there's a, there's a well-known story by Yosef Atzadik in the Torah. We're going to learn about this in a couple weeks. Yosef is looking for his brothers. Remember the story? Right? And he gets to the field where he thinks they are, but they've moved on. Does anybody remember where they go to? They go to... Anybody remember? Nope. Good guess. They go to Dotan. Dotan, wherever, Emek Dotan. We still know where that is today. And he can't find them. Vayim ish. And a man finds him. A man sees him in the field. Remember the story from last year? No? Yeah. And a man finds him in the field. And he happens to hear Yosef. And he says, Yosef, what are you looking for? And he says, I'm looking for my brothers. <sighs> what a powerful line. A Jew should always be looking for his brothers. But okay. Right? Wait, everybody, I'll say that again, and then you go, ooh, a Jew should always be looking for his brothers. Oh, there you go, right? So, so, so the guy says to him, ah, oh, it's so funny you say that. There were Bemet ten guys here, and I heard them talking. I heard them say they were going to Dotan. So Yosef says, oh, thank you very much. And off he goes to Dotan, and he finds his brothers. Now, what would have happened if Yosef had not bumped into this fellow? Well, he wouldn't have found his brothers in Dotan. If he wouldn't have found his brothers in Dotan, he wouldn't have come across them when they hated him so much, wearing his technicolor coat. What happened because he found them? They threw him in a pit. They threw him in a pit. He got sold to the Midianites. The Midianites grabbed him. They sold him to the Egyptians. The Egyptians took him. They threw him in a slave. Because he was and there, <coughs> eventually the brothers found him. And eventually, Jewish people end up going down to Egypt. They're in Egypt. They get enslaved. They're enslaved. Eventually, they see us trying. Yes, we try and take the Tarsina. We get the Torah. We come back to the, the whole story of Jewish history. Because one guy happened to be there to find Yosef. 
You know what's the most incredible thing about that? We have no idea who this guy was. It just says Ish. We have no idea who he was. I'll go a stage further. I'm not sure this guy knew who he was. He had no idea. He just thought, you know, well, yeah, some schnook today asked me. I sent him off to Delta. He had no idea. He just changed the course of history. And if you want a good example of this, I'll give you an example from my own life. My father's an only child. He grew up, his, his father, he was, I'm a fourth generation and brother, last generation born in America. Okay? I was born in, in New York. My father was born in Connecticut. His father was born in Connecticut. And his father, my great-grandfather, who I never met, was born in Middletown, Connecticut. His father, old Uncle Henry, came over from Europe in like 1869. Like not long after the Civil War. Okay? And basically, from what I understand, threw his children off over the boat. Okay? By the time they got to, 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 to my grandfather, right? Never mind my great-grandfather, Louis Friedman, who was Henry's son who threw his children off the boat. So he was a very secular Jew. His son, Jack, was also not a religious Jew. But he met a girl who also became not so into the zone, but her father was a little bit. And my father, my father was a fourth generation nisht. And, you know, he was, uh, he was actually very involved in Jewish youth group and a conservative synagogue, whatever. But, you know, not really like, uh, he wasn't on his way to Bubba, if you know what I mean. Now, what did you do if you were a Jew and you weren't so committed back then? You went to university, you went to Brandeis, because Brandeis is where all the Jews went. Anybody going to Brandeis? Okay. He wasn't, it wasn't a Jewish university, it was a Jewish university. There were lots of Jews there. How Jewish they were is an interesting question. So he went to Brandeis. Now back then, in the 1950s, it's not like today, like not everybody went to college. Like a lot of people didn't go to college. He went to college because you wanted to study, and after a couple of years, he's like, what am I doing here? He meets a girl, if I get the story correct, and she's niche Jewish. And he starts dating a non-Jewish girl. Now, now, you know, non-Jewish girl in 1950s, I mean, that's, it's not like today. Today it's like, oh, really? What's her name? Christina. Isn't that nice? Like, back then, that was a big deal. He was an only child, but he had cousins. They all came out of the woodwork. You know, how could you date a non-Jewish girl? He had some aunt who, you know, uh, Uncle Dave, whatever. How could you date a non-Jewish girl? And he finally says, look, you're all giving me a hard time by Jews. You never, you never told me why Judaism was interesting before. But it got him thinking. Like, am I Jewish? Is that important to me? Who am I? What does it mean to be Jewish? So I guess the relationship didn't last. He dropped out of college, decided he can go to Israel and spend a year in Israel figuring out what it means to be a Jew. Now, he's three weeks before he's going to go to Israel. He's standing at a street corner at a traffic light waiting for the light to turn green. And this guy walks up next to him and they have like this moment. And the, it kills me because he doesn't remember this guy's name. This guy was some kind of an advisor or something in the Jewish youth group in Yosuai where he was in the Jewish youth group. And he says, oh, hey, how you doing, Paul? Right, Paul. Nice Jewish name, right? Okay, right? And he says to him, it's my dad. And he says to him, you know, how's it going? But it's not like we're all so close. It's like you're standing at the traffic lights so you start talking, right? It's a two-minute conversation. He says, you know, what are you up to? I heard you're in Brandeis. No, I dropped out of Brandeis. I'm going to Israel. He says, really? Going to Israel? Why are you going to Israel? I don't know. I'm really struggling. I'm thinking, like, I want to find a place to see, like, what does it mean to be Jewish, you know? He says, really, where are you going? He says, oh, kibbutz, I'm going to kibbutz, because that's what you did. You wanted to figure out being Jewish. You went to Israel to a kibbutz. Okay. Which kibbutz? Kibbutz Negba. Guy starts to laugh. He says, listen, if you want to go to Israel to find out what it means to be an Israeli, then by all means, go to kibbutz Negba. But if you want to go to Israel, and you want to see what it means to be Jew, you're going to the only kibbutz that raises pigs. 
you're not going to get a lot of Judaism in this kibbutz. If you want to see whether Judaism is important to you, go to a kibbutz that tea. What's a kibbutz of the tea? One thing leads to another. Calls up the shaliach. He says, "Oh, I can put you on a religious kibbutz." Sure. Goes to kibbutz sad. Right. Three days after he gets to kibbutz sad, he walks into the dining room and meets my mother. Apparently, legend has it, he tells his newfound friend on the kibbutz, "I'm going to marry that girl," and he does. Right. And she is from a Bnei Akiva, from beyond Chassidim. She's like a serious stark girl, whatever it is. She was studying Baba Basra and Baba Kama, right? And, uh, and they get married. Now think about this, right? All three of the, they live in Israel. All three of their children live in Israel. All their grandchildren. All their great-grandchildren. We all live in Israel. We're all wearing kippot on our heads. All because of this guy at a traffic light. And I don't even know who he is. And I don't think he has any idea who he is. He completely changed the destiny. My father's on the way out. He was, he was dating a non-Jewish girl. He's an only child. There'd be nothing left of the Freedmans. We have no idea who we are. Sometimes Hashem takes you and says, I'm going to make you a malach today. I'm going to give you a mission. You have no choice. This is going to be your mission. Embrace it. Yaakov understands when he goes down that he's a malach. He's struggling. Asaph, and I gotta leave the house, and I'm going to Lavan, and it's the pinnacle of dishonesty, and what's gonna be? And he lies down and he says, I know that this is happening for a reason. And I know that I'm about to go on a journey, and I wanna keep climbing the ladder. Even running away from Asaph, he's still striving to come close to Akash Baruch. That's unbelievable. 22 years later, what's he dreaming about? He's dreaming about sheep. He started his journey, he was struggling with the Tosfos. You know there's a safer of a Tzadokah coin? It's called Resise Laila. Tzadokah coin was like a magnet for Torah. He dreamed Chidushim. And apparently when he would wake up in the morning, he was so freaked out that he didn't want to forget the Torah he dreamed about, he would sit down and write these things down. And eventually, after his Nifter, I think it was after his Nifter, his students published it, it's called Resise Laila. It's the Chidushi Torah he has at night. I should come up with Chidushi Torah like that when I'm awake in the base matters. Do you understand? He dreams Torah. 22 years in Gullus, 22 years in, in, in Harvard, Princeton, Yale land, and he stops dreaming about ladders and Kuchibrichu. He's dreaming about sheep. So a Malach comes to him, and a Malach says to him, to remind him, you were a Malach once. It's time to go home. It's time to go home. I see what Lovin is doing to you. That's what that Pasuk means. I see what Lovin is doing to you. You've been living with Lovin too long. You're dreaming about sheep. And listen to this Pasuk. He comes, he comes to Rachel and Leah. He says, it's time to go. You know what they say? Vatan Rachel Vleah. They answer it together, singular. Tan, not Vayanu. Or Vateanu. Vatomar And they say to him, to Yaakov, Ha'od lanu chilek v'nachalab v'beit avinu. You think we have any portion left in the house of our father? He sold us into like he... You have to work seven years like... We don't even know who he is anymore. I want you to understand something. There is a time coming when the Jewish people in America, in England, in France, all over the world are going to wake up and say... We thought this was Beit Avinu. We thought that we're Americans first. We thought this was our homeland. 
we tear up when we sing the Star Spangled Banner or I don't know, the French National Anthem or, you know, what do they call it? The Queen's English, I don't know. Pardon? God save, the king. God, sa- God save the king, yes. I'm not sure to save him from what, but okay, right? And we think like this is our home. And eventually, in every generation, the Jewish people will wake up and realize that's not home. You think it's home. You think like we're living in a society where different opinions are valuable and everybody shares. And, and, and you hear what I'm saying and I hear what you're saying. And then one day you wake up and they're not like they were yesterday. His face looks different now. He's not, he's not smiling at me anymore. Thousands of people gather outside the opera house in Melbourne, Australia, screaming, gas the Jews. It's time to come home. 35 different student organizations at Harvard get together, right? And they blame this entire conflict on Israel. And they honor the sacrifice of the martyrs of Hamas. It's time to come home. The New York Times reports that a 69-year-old fellow died when he hit his head in rallies of Jews and Arabs or Palestinians. Hit his head, guy smashed him over the head. It's time to come home. A professor at Cornell says, hang gliders coming to get rid of the Jews at the party. It's exhilarating. It's time to come home. This is Yaakov. Yaakov gets an He's still Yaakov Avinu. We have to read these parashiot as though we're looking at people like us. And then we have to take a step back and realize this is a much higher level. But within the context of what we can understand, if you live in the house of love for 22 years, you're going to become lovinized. And a malach has to come to him in a dream and say, this is what you're dreaming about? It's time to come home. So if you go to college in America because you feel you can get a good education there, you can make a difference, you can be a part of the Jewish community, but your goal, that's not your goal. Harvard is not the Holy Grail. Princeton is not the Holy Grail. Columbia is not the Holy Grail. And University of Maryland is not the Holy Grail. You know what they do in University of Maryland? This is interesting. They want to have good luck. They want to do well on their tests. You know what they do? There's this pestle. It's almost an idol of a terrapin. Face this what a terrapin is. And they go over. I was there for a Shabbos. Wait, we, do, we do alumni Shabbos tonight. And they go over to the terrapin and they rub the nose. Mama Shabbat Zara. Unbelievable. Now I know that they don't really think that this is God. It's like a joke. But the joke's on them. This is not funny. Like, you want to do well on a test, besides obviously studying for the test. Like, I got to think. We had a student. He wanted to show me the library. It was Shabbos afternoon, whatever. And I figured, you know what? I'm going to be back here. Like, I get a chance to see something. It's an amazing library in University of Maryland. They have like Jewish books and they have manuscripts. It's unbelievable, right? And the whole time I'm there, I'm like, he's like, isn't this amazing? I'm thinking, what is this doing here? Like, who's learning this? But okay, right? So he wanted to show me this. And I see there's a guy, right? And he's like rubbing the, the terrapin. And I'm like, well, what is that? And then he kisses it, whatever. I said, oh, yeah, he's like laughing. That's the thing. So I go over to this guy, right? And I say, like, what are you, what, 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 what are you asking? The, like, what are you doing this for? He says, oh man, brings me luck. And I realize I can smell him before I can hear him. Like, he's a little loaded, Baruch Hashem, you know. <laughs> it is the University of Maryland, right? They're very merry in Maryland, right? And what's he doing this for? Because there's a big football game that day. And he wants his team to win. I'm thinking like, you know what we say we make a seam in Shas? Anu ratzim vahim ratzim. We all run in this world. Right? Anu ratzim l'chayel We run... For eternity. 
We're learning Torah. The Heimratzim, where do they run to? The Bear Shachar, to a pit of destruction. That's what you do? Like, that's what's important? Who wins the football game? Nebuch. So don't get me wrong. Something wrong with going to some friends, watching a football game, and bonding, and all that kind of stuff. If that's just a vehicle. But be careful that the means don't get mixed up with the ends. Because we know how that starts in the Ramah. That's Verzah. That's, that's an idolatrous way of thinking. And that's what Yaakov is struggling with here. And I'll tell you one last thing, and then we'll stop. When they run away from the house of Lavan, which is this interesting question, Chazal uh, here say, look carefully at what happens to our forefathers, because this is the paradigm of the journey of the Jewish people. Yaakov doesn't walk out of Lavan's house with a slap on the back. Yaakov has to run in the middle of the night. Eventually, if you don't leave in time, you end up having to run in the middle of the night. My grandmother came to uh, America. She ended up in Connecticut. From She actually went to Columbia. She went to Barnard back when it wasn't done. She's a bright woman. And she came over on a boat in 1903. She was three years old from Warsaw. It took me years to understand why they came that year. 1903, anybody know what famous event happened back then? The Kishinev program. There was a famous program in Kishinev. Okay? Um, I think it was 47 Jews were murdered. It was much a three-day... They, 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 just, they just started killing Jews in Kishinev. The police hung a sign on the door. We're not going to be here next week for a couple hours. We're sorry. Everybody understood what that meant. And they just butchered the Jews. Golda Meir was in the Kishinev program and hid under a bed. That's what caused her to come to America, to Milwaukee, and eventually Israel. And my grandmother ended up, because of that, getting out. And they got out in time. Forty years later, thank God, they weren't in Warsaw. When do you leave? When's it time to go? That's what this parsha. So how do you do this? One last thought. So they're leaving. And what does it say? Vatignov Rachel atatrafim. Rachel steals... I'm not going to get into exactly what they are. Some sort of idols of divination that help love and tell the future, whatever they were. The original GPS. And she steals them. And these are like love hugs. Like this is his holy grail. You know, he's got the crystal ball. She takes it. So Lovin comes running after them and catches up with them. And everybody remembers the story. What, um, um, along with everything else, he's looking for this truffing, right? So Yaakov gets upset with him. He says, I didn't take a penny from you. I worked all night. I worked in the freezing cold and the heat. And now you're accusing me of theft. Go ahead. Search my property. See if you find one thing. And so now he's going in and he's searching the truffing. Now, without going too much into the context, if they catch... Rachel, that she's stolen the truffin, they're going to kill her. This is Lavan. This is not like new, new, new. They're going to shecht her. And it's going to mean that the Jewish people, it's going to be bad. So she doesn't know what to do. Where does she hide the truffin? Anybody know what she does? She puts them under the, 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 the camel saddle or, or pillow and she sits on them and she says, nashim like I'm, I have the way of women. I can't get up. I'm sorry. Ask me an obvious question. She steals the truffin. She sits on them. She hides them under the... Anybody have a question? Why didn't she break it? Yeah, why don't you just destroy it? By the way, you're Rachali Mayim. Why are you stealing idols? Okay, let's put that aside. Fine, you want to steal the idols. Destroy them. Just bury them. Get rid of them. And if that's not good enough, that's all you can come up with. Where am I going to hide them? Oh, I'll sit on them. That's a good one. They'll never find me. 
Really, seriously, you got all these tents, you can't go in a tree and a rock. So if Nevinsel has a powerful idea. He says, this was a battle of, of, of civilization. This was the world of Yaakov fighting the world of Lavan. And the Trophim represent the world of Lavan. And if you want to do away with the world of Lavan, you sit in it. You, you, you degrade it. You make of it nothing. If I can sit on it, if a Jew takes a Sefer Torah out and stands on it and sits on it, then he has no Torah in his life. And that's what she was doing. You want to eventually let go of the values that you think are abhorrent, you have to sit on them. You have to recognize that there's no truth in them whatsoever. If you're sitting in a class and a professor, I, I don't understand, to be perfectly honest, how an Ivy League trained professor can stand up in a public forum and be exhilarated because terrorists are flying over on hang gliders and murdering teenagers. I do not understand that. Even more than that, I do not understand why that person still has a job. And why we as Western society tolerate that freedom of speech. That's not free speech. That's, that's, that's incitement. That's, that's Nazism. Such people should be locked up in a pit, if not shechted. But if I'm sitting in a class like that, you know what the most amazing story? In Stanford University, Stanford University, unbelievable. A professor tells all the Jews in the room to stand up and sends them into a corner and says, here are the colonialists. He separates the non-Jews from the Jews. And they get up and walk into the corner. It blows my mind. It blows my mind. Now, don't get me wrong. I'm not, I'm not advocating violence. Although I would have a very hard time not getting a baseball bat if I was sitting in a classroom like that. But do you go back to class the next day to listen to such a professor? Where's our dignity? Our pro- like, that's Yaakov. Yaakov is emet. In this parsha, we begin to sort of take a pause and say, what are the values that are important to us? You could not pay me enough to send my child to listen to a professor like that. The Western one, this is not about Jews. This is not about Jews. This is not about, this is a struggle of civilization. Western civilization needs to take a stand against evil. And if they don't, then they're doomed. And that's the challenge here. And this is all hidden in the story of Yaakov. So there is a lot more to talk about. Just to end on a positive note, right? Here we sit in a Beit Midrash in the old city of Yishalayim. And we're studying Torah that was brought to us by our ancestors 4,000 years ago. If you ran into Yaakov Avinu today, you could talk to him in Hebrew. Do you understand? If, if you ran into Rav and Shmuel and Ravina and Ravashi, you could talk Torah with them because, because we're studying what they talked about. That's unbelievable. Don't get down and struggle about what's happening in the world today because it'll all, it's like a, it's like a little bit of a, a cloud puff. It'll disappear. You know, just like, just like the Egyptians and the Assyrians, and the Babylonians, and the Persians, and the Romans. Right? Somebody wrote to the, uh, uh, there was a sign in the dining room for Thanksgiving, where are the pilgrims? Oh, I love that. Love that. That was good. Shem should bless us that through our journeys, and by the way, I just want to be clear here, I'm not telling you not to go to college. I'm really not. And I think there's a lot of value in a secular education. Nobody should misunderstand me. I just think we're living in a world that's changing. We need to pay attention. We need to think about this. We need to struggle with this. You know, I'm, I'm not honestly sure. I, one of the things I love about a right is we can share things with you. You guys decide what you want to do with your life. 
It's not for me to tell you where to go, what to do. I didn't grow up in America. Like, I did actually, but whatever, not for a long time. Right? And, and that's a struggle that a person should have. But at the very least, we have to think about these things. We are living in different times. The America that, that I grew up in does not exist anymore. It's a different place. And that's something to think about. Shem should bless us all with the most amazing Shabbat.